0: listening to Radio Tedland. I love you forever and goodbye. Written by Patrick Cullen. Episode 14. Autumn. As flames grow higher. I hadn't gone to the pedestrian zone to tell stories as I normally did that Friday morning, but walked instead to the central railway station and paid to put my rucksack in the left luggage. I still wasn't absolutely sure just what I would do that evening, but I was certain I'd need to be as unencumbered as possible. I still had the bag with the superhero costume in it and I'd carried it with me as I walked through the city killing time before calling the number for the address by imagining some of the different ways in which I could get my revenge that evening. I drank takeaway coffee from waxed cardboard cups and neat vodka from a glass bottle as I wandered around, unintentionally finding myself revisiting memories of my times with her as I walked past places where we'd met and, as I'd believed at the time, enjoyed each other's company. This was dead time. Time in between time, time spent waiting for the time to come and when that time came perhaps then it would be the end of time, of, of my time, that I would then be out of time. I was calm, I didn't know exactly what I would end up doing that evening when I got to the premiere. But I had a sense of certainty that when I chose to act in whatever way I deemed appropriate, I would not freeze. I would not change my mind. I was sure that I would have the strength of will to follow through on whatever course of action I chose to commit myself to. I'd gone to the bench beside the sea around midday and sat there thinking. It was strange. What once had been so special to me was now simply another bench, somewhere to sit down. The meaning with which it had been invested was no more. It was no longer our bench. We were no more. Even the I I had been then now seemed to be a version of myself, foreign to who I was now. Almost the only constant was the sea, I thought, as I sat there watching the tide inhaling and exhaling in regular motion. It didn't affect me that something that once had seemed to be so important was now simply an ordinary item of urban architecture. I felt that I rose above it, that this loss of meaning was in actual fact more a proof of the sense of purpose I now had regarding the premiere. The fact that I had chosen to exact some form of revenge on those that had lied and cheated, that had abused my trust, this seemed to insulate me from the emotional vulnerability that had beset me from the day of the picnic and in particular since I'd learned that the filmmakers had made a film. In a strange way, I felt I was more in possession of superpowers now than I ever had been when I'd dressed each day in the costume she'd given me, the supposed superhero of her purported love. I left the bench and headed back to the city, this time with the superhero costume in a bag in my hand, rather than leaving it behind. As I walked through the trees, I took the time to look behind them, but there was nobody there lying in wait for me, and no hidden cameras that I could spot. I called the number they'd given me during the afternoon as agreed, and a friendly female voice gave me the address. After calling the number and getting the address, I still had some more time to kill before the evening's premiere. I got something to eat. Take away junk food eaten by hand a burger or wrap of some sort, I can't even remember. It was simply fuel in my belly and something to do with the time on my hands before... Before what, exactly? Despite having spent time imagining many different scenarios, I still didn't know what course of action I would choose to follow that evening. I was confident I would know what to do when I stood in the situation though, and despite my uncertainty, I had a vague idea of the parameters I would act within, so there were some things I would need to take with me. Exactly how they would be used, though, was something I would decide upon in the moment. A couple of hours before the premiere was due to begin, I started heading toward the area close to the harbour, where the evening's events would unfold. I was tempted to walk past the building where the premiere would be held, now that I had the address but didn't want to run the risk of meeting anyone connected to the film that might recognize me. Instead I found an abandoned playground and chose to sit there for a while. I had the playground to myself, a rusting frame where absent swings once had swung a seesaw that had broken over in the middle, so both ends were settled permanently on the ground, victims of a weight too heavy to bear, the passing of time and societal neglect. I sat amongst the graffiti, empty bottles and crushed cans, and imagined how the playground once had looked, when it was maintained and valued, before the money ran out, before people stopped caring and let it all fall apart. I imagined hearing the cry of happy playing children the playground once had echoed with and wondered what might have become of those children that once had played there and where children played now, or even if they still played like their parents had done, like I had done. I sat there for some time, imagining the sounds of childhood's past, of laughter and tears, and whatever might come between the two. It was getting late though, and I couldn't delay things anymore. I had a sense that it wasn't simply the film and how it had influenced the past six months of my life that was culminating that evening. More than that, it felt as though this was why everything that had ever happened in my life had happened. This. Whatever it might turn out to be. This was why I had spent the days and nights I had done on this planet. This was why I had followed the path I had in life. This was my reason for being. It's a question of definition. I am a word. What do I mean? What type of word am I? Do I do, describe? Have I got nuances? How am I most often used? In anger or with love? Am I difficult to say or simple, sometimes brutal? Do you know what I mean? Do you understand me? Do I even have a meaning? Do I stay the same, a rock, dependable? Or do I change, always meaning something slightly different? But all that is irrelevant now. The only thing I know is, There was something before, and then I was awake. I took my time about getting there, and in the end I almost didn't make it, which is to say, I almost got there too late. First I had to get the things I needed, And then I had to find the place. Being the arty, creative types that they were, they'd hidden it away in some disused warehouse on the edge of a rundown industrial estate. And just before I got there, I had to get into that stupid costume one last time. They'd insisted on that, my coming dressed for the part as they called it. I thought about how my feelings for the costume and all it symbolized had changed so much in such a short space of time. They didn't know though how I really felt about what they'd done. So as I changed into the costume one last time, I also practiced being pleased to meet them and unassumingly happy, seemingly grateful they'd allowed me the opportunity to be part of their wonderful project. All that I could imagine myself being able to do, difficult as it might be, but the thought of meeting her again filled me with uncertainty. I wasn't sure I'd managed to control my emotions long enough to be able to do what I had to do, but the bottle I had with me gave me courage. One of the bottles, that is. The other contained something quite different, but equally important, if I were to have any hope of getting some satisfaction from the evening. I felt the need to try and collect my thoughts before getting there, so I found a bench to sit on, swallowed a healthy mouthful of vodka, and almost immediately felt the courage begin to flow through my veins. I looked at the vehicles driving by on the busy road, thought about where they could be heading and what they might find when they got there, then let my thoughts turn back to myself and my own situation. I thought about where I was at that moment in time and where I was going that evening, what I might do when I got there and most importantly for me, how on earth it was I'd gotten into the whole situation. I took another hit of vodka and closed my eyes, closed my ears to the noise of the traffic and thought back to how it had all started, not even a year ago. Forever and Goodbye sat at the cave entrance and followed events back down by the harbour as best they could. Forever pointed out the building where the resistance meeting would be held. Goodbye wasn't sure how Forever knew which building the resistance would use but she didn't ask questions anymore just listened Thankful she wasn't alone. The resistance had organised some sort of exhibition at the building, Forever Said, as a front for their meeting. There was a wooden structure exhibited in the courtyard, built from driftwood, and a play or something was taking place inside. As they sat watching the city, they saw flames rise up from the building and meet the blood-red sky of the setting sun, clouds of smoke that became one with the twilight, then later sirens and flashing blue lights that pierced the darkness. Goodbye was just looking forward to her surprise, she had no idea what it could be. Forever said she should be patient a little longer, that the surprise would be there soon. I felt that the left luggage attendant gave me a strange look the next morning when I returned to the railway station to pick up my rucksack I thought it could have been my imagination coupling the events of the evening before with other people's reactions or it might have been genuine. If I really did get a strange look from him though, I was confident it was in all likelihood to do with my appearance rather than any intimate knowledge of what had happened at the premiere. I'd gone back to the abandoned playground after running away from the disused warehouse where the premiere had taken place, and changed into my own clothes once again, before leaving the superhero costume behind, hidden in some bushes, hoping I would never see it again. Later, I had tried to clean myself up in a public toilet, washing my hands and face as good as I could with cold water while trying to ignore the pervasively strong smell of urine and not read in too much detail the graffitied messages of hope and desperation written on the walls. I was too hyped by what had happened to be able to sleep. So I spent the night walking through the sleeping city, replaying events in my head. Occasionally sitting on a bench for a short while, but mainly just wanting to keep moving. When dawn came, I headed toward the railway station, ready to pick up my rucksack when the left luggage storage opened. After having done so, I sat down on a bench and thought about the strange look the attendant might have given me. Looking down at my hands, I saw for the first time that they were still stained with the soot and ashes from the night before but I hadn't managed to wash off. I walked over to an empty passport photo booth and poked my head behind the curtain. In the mirror I saw that my face was also stained by soot and in the confined space of the booth I was able to notice how I smelled of flames and burning. I went into the public toilets at the station and paid to use a shower. Washing myself clean of soot and the smell of the fire before changing into clean clothes from my rucksack. Looking in the mirror as I left the restrooms, I felt that I almost looked respectable, like someone successful, with a job perhaps, and a normal life, who'd just freshened up after arriving into the city on the night train. As I left the station, I bought a coffee and picked up a copy of a free newspaper. I sat on a bench in the pedestrian zone with my coffee and found a report on the events of the night before. Not on the front page, but the second page with the other snippets of news before you got to the full page adverts and the press releases printed to look as though they were the work of actual journalists rather than public relations employees hawking their employers' interests, whatever they might be. There were only a couple of concise paragraphs in the paper about the Premier and what had happened there. I was surprised there was anything but at the same time, disappointed there wasn't more. I hadn't thought the events at the disused warehouse had been that important in the grand scheme of things, but since they had merited column inches, I wished there had been more information describing what had happened in greater detail. That there hadn't been more written could also have been down to the timing the premiere had been in the evening, which meant that around the time the paper was being printed, details were probably still scarce. The little information they had managed to collate and print for managed to tell the bare bones of what had happened. There had been a fire at the premiere, and the police were searching for a suspect. A man connected with the film in some way, who had been seen to run off as the flames had grown higher. Police were searching for this suspect, a person of interest, as they called him in suitably non-accusatory language. But, as yet, there was no description. I sat on the bench and drank the rest of my coffee, thinking back to the night before, of all that was missing from the newspaper story and all that was hidden between the lines or unknown when it had gone to press. In particular, I wondered why there was nothing about her in the paper.